What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. It's your boy, Mac. Joining me tonight via StreamYard is my friend and co-host, Corey Walsh of Fear the Sword. Corey, how you doing, my brother? I'm doing great. You know, we got a great matchup here tonight. So what else can you look forward to? (laughs) Indeed, indeed. And in honor of that matchup, Cavs taking on the Memphis Grizzlies tonight in prime time. Finally, we have Joe Molinax of Locked On Grizzlies joining the show today to give us some healthy insight into this very good Memphis team. Joe, first off, just want to say thanks for coming on. And secondly, how are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. You know, before we before we came on, I alluded to the fact that, you know, I'm pulled in a lot of different directions in the day job. So <laughs> it's nice to be able to just kind of focus in and talk basketball and, and relax a little bit. And I appreciate the invitation the, the Cavaliers and the Grizzlies look a lot alike in a lot of different ways. And one of my favorite things about the Cavs is they have done what Memphis has not done. And the Cavs have made the big trade. They went out and got Donovan <laughs> Mitchell. And obviously that looks pretty good. Um, you know, obviously the Rudy Gobert side of it for the Timberwolves, not as attractive, at least <laughs> at this moment. Um, but it's worked out so far for Cleveland. And going into the next seven days, will the Grizzlies make a similar move for OG Ananobi or somebody else? You know, that's kind of the, the story down in Memphis is, is it time for them to pull the trigger on their big move, which they have yet to do? You know, you bring a good point and in referencing Mitchell, because, you know, this this season has not gone, I would say, at least up to a Cavs fan standard after that trade. A lot of people are already, you know, especially on Cavs Twitter, discussing the fact that their displeasure of how this team is not living up to those expectations. Um, I'm sure that's not a lot of what you have seen, you know, obviously, uh, with Isn't he an all star right starter? He is, but I, the Cavs, about Cavs fans, I don't understand. <laughs> Nonsense. I, I, it's, that's exactly <laughs> it what insane. it is. That's exactly what it is. Well, it I, has I a mean, lot to at, do. Well, your, your core age is similar to that of the Grizzlies, right? Allen and Mobley and Garland are all relatively young still. Mitchell's obviously an, uh, an older than them, but it's not like he's washed or, you know, he's in his prime. So you're looking at a pretty solid core of guys. You're in the Eastern Conference where you have the Boston Celtics, who are better than everyone. The Philadelphia 76ers, very much built to win now. You have the Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis. And again, they've made their all-in move with Drew Holiday. So they, you just have a bunch of teams in the East that are top-heavy. And Cleveland's right there in that mix. I just don't – no offense, Cavs fans, but what are you complaining about? Like, exactly. I'm, I would be excited. That's exactly where you're at. And just to kind of put a little bit more background on this, you know, Memphis, you know, to their credit, they've gone on a few different streaks this season, both Mm -hmm. good and bad. They've managed to go on both a seven game and 11 game win streak at various points this season. They've also seen a five game slide 
Um, they're four and six in their last 10 and 32 and 19 at the moment, which is good for second in the West, which paint, which is going to paint a, a pretty good picture here when I'm done referencing this point. But, you know, to the Cavs, to their credit, they got off to one of the hottest starts in the league this season after losing their first game, which right. uh, we referenced this a lot. Gary Trent Jr. Uh, poking the eye out of Darius Garland. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> uh, what happened, didn't it? After that happened, after that loss, they reeled off eight straight victories. And honestly, you know, it got a lot of NBA talking heads doing exactly that, talking, blowing smoke up, you know, different areas, talking about us being in title contention a little bit earlier than expected. Mm -hmm. But since that eight and one start, the Cavs have basically played 500 basketball. Um, they're they're 23 and 21 since that terrific start and sit at 31 and 22, which is good for fifth in the East. So, Joe, my question for you is that, you know, these teams, they, they have obviously very similar records and feature some very, very talented players. I repeat, very talented players. When you look at the likes of John Morant and Donovan Mitchell, Evan Mobley, Darius Garland and company, Um when you look at these two teams, tell me a little bit more about their similarities, and and do you see them both going on like a, a similar trajectory at this point in time? Well, the thing that's interesting about Cleveland is, like I said, they've already kind of disrupted their timeline, and I don't necessarily. I, again, I think the Mitchell trade has worked out for them. It's kind of shocking to me. People <laughs> are complaining about it. Um, I I see them as a team that now that they've pulled that trigger, in fairness to those Cavs fans, they should be contending, right? Like they've done the contender move. The Memphis Grizzlies have yet to do that. There is no OG and an OB on the roster. The oldest guy that had gotten minutes in a Grizzlies game this year before Wednesday night when you know Danny Green made his season debut coming back from his knee injury was Steven Adams, and he's 29 years old. So we are an extremely young team in Memphis, and it's a group of guys that they don't have veteran leadership like a Donovan Mitchell. You know, They have John Morant. They have – Jaron Jackson Jr., they have Desmond Bain. They have a really strong young core. All those guys are under 25 years old. But the trade-off to that is when it's a role player like Steven Adams or a guy like Tyus Jones who's still relatively young for the league. You know, Dylan Brooks is 27, and people call him the heart and soul of the Grizzlies. And in terms of competitiveness, that's great. Like, if you're going into a dark alley, he's that dude, right? He's the guy that you <laughs> want to go into the dark alley with is Dylan Brooks. But if you look at his shooting efficiency numbers, you don't want to go into an empty gym with him and challenge him to make 10 shots because you're going to be there all night. Um, it, it's one of those things where you have missing pieces, but the front office has not actively tried to fill them in terms of veteran presence or in terms of going and getting a top 20 or 25 player like a Donovan Mitchell. They haven't made that swing yet. So... I think that their timelines are disrupted a bit because Cleveland made that decision and Memphis has not. But aside from that, you know, having, you know, a young guard like Darius Garland, it's just a little bit different in terms of, you know, you guys have two strong front court players that are young and Garland as the guard for the Grizzlies, their backcourt is probably the best young backcourt in the NBA at this point um, in Morant and Bain. And then you've got Jaron Jackson Jr., the eater of worlds defensively. As a big, who's unlikely to play in this game, which will make it a little more interesting uh, for, for you guys, at least being able to get to the paint more easily. Um, so there's similarities in terms of youth. Obviously, multiple guys that were added through the draft that are a key part of what Cleveland's doing. But, you know, whether it's Jared Allen, obviously Mitchell is the bigger example. The construction of getting there is a slightly different, right? Like Jared Allen is still relatively young. The Grizzlies made their trade for Steven Adams, and he's a little bit older. 
the, the similarities go to focusing on defense. When Memphis is at their best, they're, they're defending well. When they're not defending well, especially from three, you know, they're really rough. You know, Cleveland obviously has Garland, who's a tough shot maker. They have some strong front court play in, in their bigs. And one of the things that fascinates me most about the Cavaliers is obviously old friend J.B. Bickerstaff <laughs> in terms of how he was, you know, the Grizzlies head coach, obviously, before Cleveland. And I always felt bad for JB because I thought he got a bad a bad swing of the of the hammer, so to speak, in terms of he was there at the tail end of grit and grind, you know, something that probably should have ended years before. But it's hard to say that it are you gonna kill like the best thing that ever happened to the Memphis Grizzlies? You know what I mean? Like I understand why they tried to extend it and it just didn't work. So he got a bad swing in that way. I knew he wasn't a bad coach. I wanted him fired. I didn't think I, I wanted a clean slate, if that makes sense. I cl- cleaned the clock. Uh, but I hoped that he would get another chance because I thought he was a good coach. And Cleveland has proven that he is. So I think you've got a good coach, uh, a younger coach, similar to T- Taylor Jenkins, who's a good young coach in the league. There's lots of parallels there. The main difference that really just makes it fascinating for me to watch Cleveland from afar is they, with a younger core still, they did pull the trigger and the Grizzlies have yet to do so. Yeah, I think that when you're taking that into account, especially to the JB point, man, let me just tell you right now, um, half of what's said uh, about JB Bickerstaff after, I would go as far as to say 75% uh, as of what's said about JB Bickerstaff in relation to some of these more recent losses is fire JB, fire JB, fire JB. It's all brimstone. Fire well, I have brimstone. a quick theory about that, if that's okay. And I promise I won't be as long-winded as my last response. We as a society in general are extremely instant gratification based now. And we live and die. I don't, but we as a humanity live and die day to day, the 24 hour news cycle, right? <laughs> Similar concept with sports. One game happens and it's the end of the world, right? I don't follow baseball, but I can I can't imagine being a baseball podcaster and blogger <laughs> and you play two games at, you know, literally there's 160 more. And people are like, fire the manager. You know what I mean? Like it's we, we get a taste of that in the NBA. And you, you have to look at larger samples. Like you talk about the hot start they had. The, the other team practices too, right? The other team is filled with professionals. Every player in the NBA is a professional basketball player. Every coach in the NBA is a coach of one of the top 30 basketball teams on the planet, right? So – you're not always going to have your A game, just like you don't have your A, day, a game at work every day. And I, you're not going to be perfect. So the magnifying glass is just a lot brighter. You know, I'm impressed with Cleveland, you know, and, and watching them. I think in the most recent game, I tweeted out that I would be totally cool with that as an NBA Finals. Like, I thought that'd be a really <laughs> fun series. And again, hopefully Memphis wins it in six or seven. You guys would say the same for the Cavs. <laughs> but it would be a fun series to watch. And it would be a really competitive one, too. And even with the absence of Jackson Jr. in this game tonight, I think it'll be competitive, and that's a credit to the the rosters that have been built. Absolutely. Yeah, um, as two teams, the Cavs and the Grizzlies, they both seem like they're in the same trajectory. Like they're both poised to take that leap into the elite so, stratosphere of either yeah. conference. But as uh, the Cavs fans are aware, I mean, streaks come and streaks go, and the Grizzlies right now are in a rough streak of their own. 
losing six of their last seven. How do you feel like is the what what factor for Memphis do you feel like they're missing that has really contributed to this type of skid? And excluding the Shannon Sharp beef that everyone likes to point at. <laughs> the curse. Yeah, I don't know if you guys are wrestling fans, but like everybody accuses Shannon Sharp of being like Danhausen from AEW. <laughs> Cursed by Shannon Sharp. Um I think that it's multiple issues. I think that the front office uh, did a bit of a heat check in the offseason and thought that they could replace DeAnthony Melton and Kyle Anderson, more so Melton, because you guys in the Eastern Conference have seen what Melton's doing for the 76ers. He's having a similar impact for them that he was having in Memphis. He struggled in the postseason, and it was kind of deemed that he was expendable for whatever reason. And they thought that they could replace those guys with a John Conshaw or a David Roddy, a Jake LaRavia. That hasn't manifested, right? So I think that the front office did a bit of a heat check over the summer because they you know, had one swing and a miss with Justice Winslow, and they've pretty much been batting a 1,000 other than that uh, in terms of the draft, all the success they've had with Tyus Jones. Steven Adams was washed in New Orleans, and now in Memphis, he's one of the most important players on the Grizzlies. So they've been doing pretty well. But I think their benches outside of Tyus Jones and Brandon Clark, it's a little bit suspect, especially on the wing. They made a big bet on Zaire Williams, 21-year-old, six foot eight perimeter player. And he's a true wing. Like he's not a stretch four. He's a guy that can play, defend guards. He's defended Seth Curry in the playoffs uh, this past May. So he has physical ability, but they placed a bet that this guy was going to be able to be a sixth man type. And he, he hasn't been able to do it. You know, injury is a part of that, and there's other contexts that matters. But at the end of the day, in terms of wins and losses, John Morant can't do it by himself. Desmond Bain, the starters, especially with Steven Adams out, and Bain has been in and out of the lineup too. Uh, Dylan Brooks has caught a lot of the ire of Grizzlies fans over the last 15 or so games. He's having one of the worst shooting stretches of his career. Um, you know, it, it's a lot of things. And I, I do believe that Memphis – if they want to be a championship contender, they have to make a move. They have to. I don't, I'm not convinced they want to be a championship contender, which maybe we can elaborate on a little bit more in a moment. Um, but I, I, I think that what they are struggling with, D'Anthony Melton wouldn't have completely fixed the problem, but to choose Danny Green in an additional first-round pick instead of, and Danny Green with a torn ACL wouldn't have been ready till February, to choose that over what you knew you had in Melton, you weakened your bench and you took a bet that these younger guys were going to be able to step into these roles and that hasn't manifested for a variety of players and a variety of reasons. That's the biggest thing. Jaron Jackson Jr. is taking another leap. John Morant's going to be named an all-star reserve if it hasn't already been leaked that he's an all-star reserve. That's going to happen. Desmond Bain, aside from injuries, you look at his numbers, he's putting up near all-star numbers himself. So those guys are improving and doing what they need to do as stars and again, Brooks defensively has been tremendous. Steven Adams has really improved. He's out for this game due to injury. Uh, but the guys beyond that, you know, they, they just don't have enough in the tank. And, and that's part of the problem for Memphis. Yeah, it seems like the Cavs and the Grizzlies fans both have this struggle where the starters are doing just fine for either right. side. But when you get down to the, the bench units, I feel like both teams – have two or three players that can contribute in like a playoff setting off the bench for the Cavs. It's some combination of if Kevin loves hot versus Ricky Rubio and Karis LeVert, Dean Wade is like the four that Cavs fans would more likely to not be thrown out. And for the Grizzlies from a distance, it seems like a lot of people really like Brandon Clark and Tyus Jones in that Those same kind of sense. Yeah. yeah. 
And who ideally would like, regardless of the OG and Anobi buzz, like I know Cavs fans are really circling for some bench player to get traded for at the deadline, like some small veteran piece that will help bolster some playoff strengths Mm -hmm. that need to be filled. What realistic options are you kind of circling for bench, small bench trades for the Grizzlies? Some some guys from your area of the country. I I love Alex Caruso. Now he doesn't necessarily Mm. do a ton in terms of usage, uh, but he he's shooting well. You know, he's a threat from three. You have to respect his ability to do that. He's a dominant defender. Uh, he can create a little bit as a secondary facilitator. I love Alex Caruso. Uh, I'm a fan of um, I'm a fan of Alec Burks, to be honest with you. I, I think he's shooting something like 45 or 46 percent from three. You know, he makes a ton of sense. And again, he's played some point guard. You don't want him there the whole time. And he's a defensive <laughs> liability, uh, but he can score. And again, if he's doing it as a reserve, He's helping in terms of developing the offense. So I like Alec Burks. I think he would make sense as a realistic target. Sadiq Bey as well, maybe a little less realistic. But if he's on the market, Memphis could use, you know, a, a wing that can score. Well, there's Sadiq Bey. Um, Josh Richardson with the Spurs is another one that would make sense in that three-way or, excuse me, two-way kind of player can score, can defend, hold their own. All of those guys would be upgrades currently over Zaire Williams. Now, again, I'm not giving up on Zaire Williams because he's 21 years old, and that's where I'm coming from with what I alluded to a moment ago. Your your front office has made it clear that you want to compete, if that makes sense. Like, you went out, you got Donovan Mitchell, you filled a gap in your roster. The Grizzlies haven't done that yet. You could argue they've got worse in terms of on paper, right? Now, they're still obviously the number two seed in the Western Conference, one of the top five or six teams in the NBA. All that's still true. But what have they done to try to improve upon that, at least in a traditional sense, not focusing on internal development? They have done nothing. Like There is nothing they have done. They're really good at rebuilding. I'm not sure they're <laughs> trying to contend right now. Zaire Williams is their eighth best player, and he's not capable of being that at this moment. So I'm interested in a trade. You know, Danny Green, people talk about his championship experience, all those things. That's true. And he did make a three, and he looked better than I thought he would. But if... Danny Green in the first round pick gets me Alex Caruso. I'm making that call tomorrow. I think if, they'd love to acquire him. Yeah. I think that, it, uh, and to a lesser extent, if you can even use like a John Conchar and one of those guys, that, like Jake LaRavia, who should be a good player eventually, but Memphis can't count on these guys to develop and still be able to contend. They're trying to walk a line, having it both ways. They're cake and eat it too, whatever phrase you want to use. And they're not capable of doing it right now. So, you know, you could take LaRavia, John Conchar in a first round pick and still get Caruso. And now you've got Danny Green and Caruso and Zaire Williams can be your ninth or 10th man. I like David Roddy too. Yeah, Roddy. Uh, Roddy is a guy that I would, I would choose to trade LaRavia over Roddy. Roddy looks more ready to contribute now. And the Grizzlies have all their first-round picks plus the Warriors' first-round pick in 2024. They have something like nine second-round picks in the next four drafts. You know, at some point, you got to pull the trigger and say that you're you're in on this. They have yet to do it. Is this the week that they do it? You could even argue that trading for Alex Caruso isn't really doing it, right? Um, but that still improves you in the here and now, and it still is something that takes away even so slightly in the long term. And they have yet to make a trade with that in mind. And I think that bears watching as the next week or so unfolds. I feel like every team 
fan base is kind of fearful that the front office is always going to try to put a bandit on something that requires stitches. And that seems like the Grizzlies, like you said, had all the chips. That was the point I was going to bring up that the Cavs are kind of now working with like pennies and (laughs) nickels. Yeah, the Grizzlies have everything. Literally do outside of trading for like an all-star, right? And even then, like if they really wanted to get froggy and they wanted to include everything that isn't their top three guys. What do you consider their core? A, a fr- yeah. Like if they kept Morant, Bain, and Jackson Jr. out of it, and they said everything else is on the table, they've got a lot of picks, and they've got a young player like Zaire Williams. There's not many 6'8 true guards out there, right? So he, he's a project. He's a guy that needs to continue to develop, but he was drafted 10th overall for a reason. Like he's not, like I said, he's not a stretch four. He is a true perimeter player and he's got tremendous size to him. So I, I think that they have pieces to put together. OG and Anobi, if they want them, they can get them. The question is, do, are they willing to pay the price it's going to take to, to acquire a guy like that? And I, I, I have my doubts. They have not done anything to this point to suggest that they will do a deal like that. I think it's more realistic that they take end of bench pieces cobble them together, send them out with a first and a couple of seconds, and, you know, Alex Caruso or Alec Burks is, is is in Memphis. I think that's more realistic at this point. As Corey was – that's literally exactly where this Cavs team is at right now just because, you know, the, the Mitchell trade, you know, it was it was one of the biggest storylines of the season, but lost in that is the depth that and, and the spacing that the Cavs were trading right. out to acquire Mitchell. And he's made up for a lot of that, at least in regards to spacing. Mm-hmm. But where it has left some pretty obvious holes in our lineup. You know, at the three, although we have, and I talk about this all the time, a player that I'm consistently harping on, Isaac Okoro, does look like he is improving as a perimeter player, you know, at least being able to hit that three. But the volume isn't quite there to simply say he's going to be a premier three and D wing. So right. with, with Lowry Market and exiting town and Colin Sexton nowhere to be found anymore, Ochai Abaji, you know, was, was thought of to be in the plans before that trade. Um, the, the Cavs have tried to cobble together specific lineups off that bench, and it, it's left a lot of team – it's left a lot of fans wondering whether or not a move should be made or if it even needs to be at this point because the bench – in itself is right around bottom and I think they're 26th in the league in, in bench scoring right now and garbage yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, when, it comes, when it comes to Cleveland my interesting thought is and it's similar to the Grizzlies again you've got the Celtics there is there a trade that's realistically out there for Cleveland that's going to put them in front of Boston I would argue no no I, and and you, I don't, don't think we have the ammunition to a lesser extent, because again, the Nuggets are really good, but I think the Grizzlies can compete with the Nuggets. The West, the, the ability is a little more spread out. It's a similar question in a different way. The Grizzlies go and get OG Ananobi. They give up three first-round picks and Danny Green and something else. They hold on to Zaire, but they, they lose a lot of their draft capital to go get OG Ananobi. Okay, cool. Are you going to be able to beat the Golden State Warriors in a seven-game series? That's an interesting question. Maybe. <laughs> and if you keep OG Ananobi and Dylan Brooks and you have them together, somebody's going to be the sixth man, right? Like Dylan Brooks has been a starter almost his entire time in Memphis. Is he going to be cool with being a sixth man? Oh, and by the way, he's about to be an unrestricted free agent. OG Ananobi, are you giving all of this up for a sixth man? Probably not. 
Do you move Steven Adams to the bench? Okay, well, he's probably the one who mentally is most likely to be okay with it. But at the same time, you could argue that Morant needs Adams for his screen setting. The half-court offense of the Grizzlies is atrocious, and they have to depend on offensive rebounds to build up their possessions. You know, that's one of the main areas they miss Steven Adams. So does it make sense to go small, essentially, move Jaron to the five, where he has more foul trouble traditionally? So again, it's similar problems with different ways of trying to find the solution. Is it time now for the Grizzlies to pull that trigger when their best players are under the age of 25 and you've still got, you know, if LeBron James gets into the playoffs, if the Lakers get into the playoffs and know we all like to get jokes off, they've got two of the top 12 players on the planet. And they're going to make they're, some They could be dangerous. Healthy if they can get in. Um, again, Steph Curry still exists, right? Kawhi Leonard looks like an eater of worlds when he actually plays basketball. Another so team primed is, for is, is a this trade. the time for the Grizzlies to pull that trigger? Do you really believe they can make the NBA Finals out of a pretty competent Western Conference from top to bottom? So there's not a bunch of fakers in the West. Um, I, I think there's a few in the East at the bottom half of the bracket. Um, but again, the top five or six in the East are really good. The top nine or ten in the West are pretty stout. So. Uh, I'm curious. I mean, I think the the Portland Trailblazers are currently outside of the play-in, and they, they got Damian Lillard, who looks pretty damn good. So I I I wonder if that's what's the holdup for Memphis is being willing to say, okay, this is where we're going in. You lose future flexibility, and you still get knocked out in the second round. But this time, it's in seven games against Golden State instead of six. Yeah, the tricky part with uh, the West in general is, like you said, so many teams are vying for positioning because mm-hmm. everything's so close. And the thing with Memphis that really is intriguing is how much do they actually want to pay at this trade deadline? Because I everyone knows that the value of the trade deadline is so much more inflated than it would be if you made the same exact trade in like the summertime right after the playoffs. And with so many right. teams being desperate, like you can't count on a team like Sacramento that really like wants to solidify themselves in this playoff or play in situation, they would easily be, I feel like they would be more desperate to make an all in move and outbid the Grizzlies on a player that they were targeting at the same time. Yeah. So I guess if I was a Grizzlies fan, I would be kind of worried that like, will they succumb to the pressure and overpay? Like, I don't want to like throw stones at OGN and Obi, who's a fantastic player, but I don't know if I would want my all in move for a team trying to, establish themselves in the West to acquire OJ Anobi as their finishing touch. I think he's a very good complimentary piece, like a good cornerstone, sure. but not a three first round pick. Like I'm seeing like mock trades with the Knicks, Grizzlies, like even the Blazers, which I didn't understand that at all. But I, I just, that's like where I would be like the Cavs, like the worst fear for them is that they like just, they'll get outbid by anyone who has mutual right. interest. Because you just offer Dylan Windler in a second-round pick and just cross your fingers, and that, right. that's not going to move the needle for anyone else. They, they continue to walk the line of trying to do both. They want to contend, and they want to rebuild. They want to – you know, there's not a single, pl- single player on the Memphis Grizzlies that's on a max contract right now. Now, obviously, Jaws kicks in next There's time to take advantage. But, he's, but, but, but my point is they are still young, right? They got multiple guys on rookie contracts. They – are not necessarily in a position where they have to do anything. It's the the, the echo chamber of Twitter, right, and, and the fan base <laughs> that is clamoring for a move. I'm pretty sure the Grizzlies front office doesn't give a crap about what Twitter thinks. 
they have done nothing to this point to suggest that this is going to be their line in the sand season. Like you alluded to, the, the price is going to be high. They might scoff at the idea of John Conchar, Jake Laravia, and a first-round pick for Caruso. Like they might think, that, that's not, we're not doing that. That's too much. <laughs> and if that's how they view it, that's fine. They'll keep all their assets going into an offseason. And you know they're probably going to have trouble getting out of the West because even when playoff rotations condense, their eighth best player right now is Zaire Williams. And that's just not good enough, at least in this moment. He's young. That doesn't mean you give up on a young player, but it's okay to say that what is currently happening is not acceptable if this team is going to contend. So how do you address it? They have to make that answer in the next seven days. I think that's very fair to point out. For me, just speaking particularly from a Cavs perspective, a lot of the talk for us is centered around moving off the contract of Kevin Love, moving off the contract of Karis LeVert if the Cavs don't intend on extending him and just kind of maintaining that flexibility. So I get that standpoint. But I feel like so many times teams, and and really not not even necessarily teams, fan bases in general are just – just want moves just for the sake of moves. So I, I'm hoping that that scenario does not play out for the Cavs. Uh, but my next question for you is now that we're four seasons into the John Morant era in Memphis, what's your honest assessment of his play so far? Has has he lived up to your expectations as the second overall pick? Absolutely. I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll phrase it to you guys in a similar fashion. Would you say John Morant is one of the top 10 players in the NBA right now? Absolutely. Do you think, I guess the real question yeah, for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, not to cut you off, but yeah, yeah. Uh, he he is a human highlight reel. He does things that physically should be impossible. Uh, he, he doesn't jump. He levitates. He looks like he floats <laughs> through the air like Prince in the Dave Chappelle skit. Um, he is able to stop on a dime. His core strength is phenomenal in terms of being able to control his body. He does things that just physically defy gravity and logic. And, you know, there's aspects of his game that could be better. You know, defensively, he's still not as good as he could be given his athleticism, but he's asked to do so much offensively. Again, these guys aren't robots. They're human beings, right? So he's going to, if he's going to slack somewhere, it's probably going to be defense. Um, His three-point shot is still not consistent, but he's getting good enough at it that if you drop under him and you let him get into rhythm – he can hit two or three threes on you, and now all of a sudden he's unguardable because you can't just go under screens all the time. And as soon as you go over it, he's by you. He's faster than almost everybody you know, in the NBA. If not everybody, I just want to pay De'Aaron Fox the respect of him being really <laughs> um, But, you know, John Morant's elite in terms of athleticism. Um, he's really got an underrated handle. His vision is just remarkable as a passer. Um, he is a top 10 player in this league. And I think that anybody, again, he's still on his rookie contract. He just signed an extension, but that kicks in next year. So he is very much uh, a guy who the best part about Jaws when he signed his extension, there is no player option. Like it was a five year I'm here. And he is a guy from a small town place in in South Carolina. He was in AAU side gyms, played at a mid-major college, similar mindset to Damian Lillard, right? Like this, he wants to be in Memphis and, for Memphians and fans of the Grizzlies, you always have that fear of people wanting to leave to go somewhere else. Cleveland can relate to that, of course. <laughs> but LeBron James was born in your area, so you you don't get to fully claim that. Um, Memphis is very much in that spot, right? Where where is the next place he's going to go? You know, early on, 
Ja is planning on spending his career in Memphis. And that has really endeared him even more in, in the hearts of Grizzlies fans. And Ja is going to get a signature Nike shoe. And Ja is doing all these other things that we were told all these years that in a small market, these guys aren't going to be able to do this. And, you know, Giannis obviously before him, LeBron, of course, in Cleveland, um, you know, it's not necessarily true. And for it to happen for Memphis in this way is really cool. So the best part about him, aside from just being amazing at basketball, <laughs> is he legitimately loves Memphis and wants to be there. And, you know, when you show Memphis love, they show it back to you. Okay. My last question for you then, and I, you know, I guess I saved the best for last year. In a redraft, does Ja go number one overall? A redraft of the Zion? Yeah. Draft? Um, I'm going to have to be a non-homer and say no. <laughs> I mean, Zion Williamson, it's hard. With, with the hindsight of history in terms of health, I mean, Ja hasn't been the picture-perfect example of health in his own right, but it's certainly not as bad as Zion. Um, Zion Williamson is a force of nature, unlike the which the NBA has really ever seen. You know, Giannis and Shaq come to mind as similar. But again, Zion, whenever he wants to, can get to the basket and, and just physically dominate a basketball game. So, is Ja having a better career to this point than Zion? Yes. But if I went back to 2019, would I, and I didn't have the information I have now, I would still take Zion number one. Like he was the best college basketball player. You could arguably, you could say arguably in the history of college basketball that season. So in terms of efficiency and all of those things, Zion is still that guy, the health concerns, you know, that wasn't as prevalent. That wasn't his thing. You know, everybody liked to make fat jokes about him, but that wasn't really <laughs> concerned to the same level that it is now. So John Morant's fantastic. I'm glad he went number two because that meant the Memphis Grizzlies got him. Um, so I, I think it's still Zion one, but Ja is obviously having a, uh, at the very least comparable career. But I would say in terms of success, if you take team success into it, you know, Jaws having the better run so far. And it's still early in both of their runs. So that's that's the good news for both of them and for NBA fans everywhere. Well, I have to applaud you for remaining of obje- <laughs> your uh, objectivity. I mean, you that. guys would play Zion still, wouldn't you? I absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, sure. He's he's just physically different, right? Jaw is still undersized. Zion is a physical freak of nature. And, you know, not to say that Jaw isn't. But when you have that combination of size and athleticism, explosiveness, speed, it's just a completely unique monster to have to deal with. Yeah. My my only hope is that those two guys can stay healthy for sure. the, the remaining duration of their careers. That's that's shaping up to be a pretty decent draft. I mean, Zion, uh, Ja, Darius Garland all have made the all-star team. So it's, sure. it's definitely a great uh, – shaping up to be a great draft. Joe, again, thanks for coming on, man. Any Grizzlies fans out there listening, you can catch Joe daily on Locked on Grizzlies. Corey, you know, like we always say here, if you like to reach out to us, you can at It's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you'd like to be added to the exclusive It's Cavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot of said review to itscavalier53 at gmail.com, and we will send you an invite. That said, go Cavs.